Good evening. You guys ready? Long day? No? Yes? You guys all right? I walked through the con today, and I don't know. It it looked like it might be a lazy evening for you guys, but I am thrilled to be here. I'm really excited about what we're going to unpack tonight. Um, I have a lot I want to give to you, but I really think that you can handle it. I had some conversations with a few of you today, and I think that you have the depth and the width and the breadth to be able to hold what I'm going to present to you tonight. So I'm glad that you chose to be here. Now, I am from way up north. Now, my, my man back here on the drums is from way up north, too. Anybody else? Wisconsin? Yeah, Canada. You know, I, now Canada, I don't understand you guys, but the rest of you, the northerners. And I live in a very confusing place. I mean, last week at my house, it was negative 20. Um, not including the wind chill. It's the North Pole. It, frankly, it really, it really is. And when we first moved there several years ago, they, well, I noticed that I saw um, out on the lake, because we live next to a lake, that people were driving their automobiles onto the lake that was, it appeared to be frozen. But big trucks out on the lake. There's an old, old movie called Grumpy Old Men. It was like the picture of this village out on the lake, and I thought, what stupid people has Jesus sent me to, to bring the gospel? But they said to us, now, when you drive out on the lake, now, first of all, I'm saying to them, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not going on the lake. But they said, well, should there be a day that you decide to drive your automobile out onto this frozen lake, there's a few things that you should do first. First thing you should do is roll your window down. I, why? Well, so that when you go down, you'll be able to swim out. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at these people, and I'm thinking, no, no, love of Jesus, love of Jesus. Now, they're, and I continue to listen, and they say, also, um, you're, you're going to want to go ahead, before you go out, and put a life jacket on. Just, just put it on. I mean, probably nothing will happen. But if it does, your window's down and you've got a life jacket on, you'll just kind of float to the top. Oh, but by the way, when you go to the top, there's something you might want to know. You're going to want to swim towards the light. Don't swim towards the light. Swim towards the dark hole because of the way the sun bounces off the ice. So I'm thinking to myself, this act of um, leisure that people participate in where they go out onto the ice you have to first wear a life jacket, roll your window down, make sure to swim towards the dark hole. And also know that if your vehicle goes into the ice, they don't care. They're not sending anybody after you. In fact, they will fine you $1,000 if it's not out within, within 24 hours. Like, who are these people? So I had a friend of mine, this was one month ago. She texts me this picture, um, I think they have it, of out... Do you see this? Now, here's my response to my friend. Are there people in the van? And you are pointing and laughing? I mean, have you told anybody? But this is sort of, this is where I live. (laughs) These are the people that I encounter every day. I live in a very confusing place. But honestly, I just think we live in a confusing time. I think we live in a confusing day. I think we live in a culture that says, here's how to be happy, 
but then tells us the means by which to be happy are actually counterproductive to being happy. Eat healthy, but go to McDonald's. Be financially free, but by the way, here's a low interest credit card. Value marriage, but divorce has never been easier. Value tolerance, well, as long as it's you tolerating me, right? Value equality for all people. Well, except for unborn babies. We live, you live, in very, very confusing times. So I'd like to bring some clarity tonight. I'd like to tell you how to put the life jacket on and roll down the window so that when you go out on the ice, you don't fall through. This morning, we talked about taking the risk in Joshua chapter 3. I want to talk to you tonight about how to hold the truth. Take the risk and hold the truth. I want to go to a passage in John 4 that maybe many of you are familiar with and you might have heard a dozen times. But I want to take you there. And again, we're going to cover kind of a wide landscape of Scripture tonight. But let's start in verse 7. This is when Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee by way of Samaria, the scenic route. And he's tired from travel, so he's going to stop by a well for a drink, and he encounters a woman known as the woman at the well, Jacob's well. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They will worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in what? Truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jesus says to this woman, I am the only thing that can satisfy you. I am 
the living water. And you've read the verse in John that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. I'm the only one that can quench your thirst. Your desire for more that was implanted in you by the Father can only be met through me. I am the truth. The passage we read clears up something that has been so distorted. And it's not just being distorted in the world. It's being distorted inside of Christianity. Churches, Christian leaders that you, many of you probably follow on Twitter, are distorting what Jesus' gospel of love really is. In fact, I think that the world has mismanaged, the church even has mismanaged and has mismessaged to you what love really is. See, this mismessage of love is that whatever is real is ideal. So if what is real is that the water in front of you is brown, it doesn't matter that it's dirty, it's what's real, and because it's real, well, it must be ideal. That water is water is water. Love is love is love is love. No matter how broken, no matter how dirty, no matter how unholy, love is love is love. And that whatever is real and whatever is in front of you should be ideal and that what exists is what you should embrace. I want to propose to you tonight that is not the case. That just because something is real doesn't mean that it's ideal and does not mean that because it exists in your life that you have to embrace it as truth forever and always. Unconditional love is what Jesus brought, right? Grace and truth. It, it is that formula. If you can somehow condense love into a formula, it would be that. But grace is not sin tolerance. Grace is undeserved forgiveness for your sin. And grace, men and women, is not permission. What grace does is simply remove punishment. Truth is not temporary, it's actually timeless, and truth is not restrictive, it's actually protective. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw something for you up here. Now, they told me that, um, maybe if I use a bright color, it might, might help. They told me the camera's not working on it, so I'm gonna do my best to make it visible to you and to talk you through it. Um, but I think it's important for us to do when we talk about love. Now, when Jesus came, he took the entire law and he boiled it down to two commands, right? He said, love God and love people, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He boiled that down to two things. Be in love with God, be in love with people. I love that phrase, in love. It suggests that you step into something, doesn't it? To be in love. So I'm gonna draw a box up here for you. I don't know if you can see it. I'm hoping you can. And if we take this box and we just sort of for the moment, metaphorically, metaphorically think of that as this box of love that you can step into, all right? I'm going to be in love. I'm going to abide in Christ. I'm going to be in love with God. I'm going to be in love with people. Here's the thing about truth that is protective. 
This box has four sides. And so I think there are four pieces that if we could grab a hold of it, it would so deeply allow us to remain in love with God. You have to be connected to God's word, his people, his voice, and his providence. His word, this, this letter, this book that we have that he's presented to us. And if we would just grab a hold of it, it protects us. It doesn't restrict us. The people of God connected to them in community, they, they might help give you perspective. The voice of God who still speaks. Because don't you know that the gospel is still being walked out in your guys' lives? And God's providence, this supernatural protective care of God. Being in this love, in this kind of love, this is Eden. This is the protective love that says, don't eat from the tree. Don't eat from the tree. Not just because I'm trying to restrict you, because I'm trying to protect you. Some of the biggest regrets of your life thus far, if you think about it, some of the biggest regrets of your life are because you stepped outside of this, didn't you? You stepped outside of what the word of God said. You stepped outside of what godly counsel said. You stepped outside of what the Holy Spirit spoke to you. You stepped outside of God's supernatural power and covering and alignment. You stepped outside. And the reason you did is because you bought into the lie that this is restrictive and that you can have love is love is love is love is water is water is water is water no matter how dirty no matter how broken i want to give you tonight just some of the most common mismessaged lies of love that they're giving to your generation today if you guys can grab a hold of these, there is so much potential in this room to change the world. And we need you to grab a hold of this. As a leader in the church today, I am telling you, we need you to grab a hold of these things. We need you to hold the truth and be in love, in abiding. It's what Jesus did in that story, isn't it? With the, with the woman at the well, doesn't he call her out on her sin? I mean, he does not mince words. He calls her out, and he says, stop it. But then he offers himself as the solution, doesn't he? It's grace and truth. Here's the first lie that they are speaking to you. They're telling you that God will never give you more than you can handle. What a load of crap. It, can I say that? Okay. I was actually filtering, so I'm glad that that's okay. <laughs> it's true. All right. Um, the opposite is actually true. If you are not in over your head, you, why would, on earth would you have a need to depend on God? If you are not completely overwhelmed by what he is calling you into, you have zero need for him. You should wake up every day going, I need you today. 
I have no idea how I am going to get through these things with these people you have put me here with. You should be completely overwhelmed. It should feel so big to you. It should look like the Jordan River at flood stage. He will absolutely, in fact, I would say to you, if you are not in over your head, you are not in the middle of God's will. And you have stepped out of the box completely and fully. And man, does the enemy love this. The enemy so loves it when we choose safety over the Savior. Oh, he loves it. He loves that so much, and he loves it. Because here's what I think so often happens, why we want to choose safety and why we just can't seem to deal with being overwhelmed. Because as soon as being inside of this place brings any degree of discomfort or any degree of pain, we view pain as punishment, and we're out. It hurts too much. It's too hard. God's word can't possibly mean that. How can God's word mean anything that might create discomfort in me? Here's the thing, men and women, if you want to be entrusted with much in this life, you better demonstrate that you can hold much. You will never lead, you will never move beyond the threshold of your pain tolerance. You just won't. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And it is because of that we learn to lean in to God's providence, to listen to his voice, surround ourselves with his people, to dive into his word. First slide. Second thing I think that gets sent out to you all the time from everywhere is just follow your heart. You do you. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> like, you know? I mean, just follow your heart. Because the goal is to be happy and not holy. Holy is your only hope of happy. I know this. I have learned this the hard way. Time after time after time after time. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. It should have occurred to me when I was on my way here traveling um, yesterday. I was driving from the airport to Marion. Now, I went to high school in Marion. I know, it's true. Um, and started here at IWU for a couple years. And when I was driving here yesterday, it occurred to me about the last time I was on this campus. It was 22 years ago. And I had just packed up my car and not told a soul and started driving. I left everything here. It was my sophomore year. I left everything because my heart was so unhappy and so broken, the very idea of sitting in that pain, of sitting inside these things was, was so overwhelming and all I wanted to do was get out. Just get out, just jump out, just run from the pain. Six months prior to that drive, I had, in another part of this town, 
went to a party and, and made a very um, dumb decision, again, because I was in pursuit of happy and looking to other people for my value and found myself in a compromised situation and became the victim of something no woman should ever become a victim of. I didn't tell anybody. And I just came back here my sophomore year and just started going to class. Sometimes. And eventually became too much for me to internally hold and was too, it was untenable, it was, it was unholdable. And because I, I didn't bring God's people into it. I didn't even wanna pick up his word. I no longer believed in God's providential care. And I couldn't hear his voice and I just wanted to find a way to be happy again, that's all. So I started to pursue happy. And I'm sure you can imagine that I didn't find it for a very long time because rather than holy, when you pursue happy, happy only takes you to places that will continue to layer upon layer upon layer the lie that you believed in the first place to even make you pursue happy, that you are not valuable enough, that you are not worth it enough, that you cannot possibly be holy, that you are not one of those people that can somehow enact the power of God, that whatever somebody else has or whatever is inside of them that allows them to tap into who he is, it's just not inside of you. You just don't have it. You are too broken. You are too fractured. You are too small. You, no one sees you. All of those lies that we believe of the devil that cause us to leap out and not abide anymore and we start to follow our happy. And don't you know that the devil loves a broken heart? He will take you to a broken heart as fast as he can. Because if he can take you to a broken heart, he has a better chance of getting you to step outside of here of getting you to go in pursuit of things. And because we tell ourselves, well, it's just too hard. I just can't stay in this. It's too restrictive. I, 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 don't, I deserve to get away or, or people will get mad at me if they know and all of the things. See, we care far too much about what we think and feel. What we think and feel is what drives our decisions and what we think and feel is what takes us outside of that protective, perfect place of abiding in the love and under the covering of God. God's thoughts, his ways are higher than ours and better and fuller and more happy and healing and they are powerful. His heart is the only perfect heart and if we would just follow his heart rather than our heart, we would find and be inside of holy. You don't have to be as broken as I was to make these mistakes. In fact, some of you, the danger for you is you're so numb. And, and you have everything in the pocket. And you rely so much on your gifts and talents and on your charisma. And all of these things, you don't even see a need for him. And really, you pursue happy every day. Life is just one big party. Holy is not even within your sphere of thinking. If you don't get a hold of this truth in this season of preparation in your lives, that it is always holy before happy, and holy is your only hope of happy, you will never be happy. For the rest of your life, you'll be chasing it. The next lie I think that you guys hear often is that your faith is a private issue. It's a personal issue, but it's not private. That when you love something, it really should be no secret. And more often than this, um, and this is kind of a little side note, um, 
when you're interested in dating someone, just little, this is for free. If you can't tell whether they love Jesus, the likelihood is they probably don't. You know what I'm saying? I talk to students all the time, and they start to date somebody, and I go, are they a believer? And they go, well, I don't know. I haven't asked them yet. How do you not know? <laughs> like, if you don't know, if you have to go digging and searching and trying to find it, it no, it should be like contagiously ablaze in their life. Because faith is not a private issue. Next lie, I think that is often mismessaged to you when it comes to love, is that the church is optional. The church is not optional for believers. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the church. You might not have realized that that's what you signed up for, but you did, like it or not. You are inside of these perfectly imperfect, messed up, broken people from here into eternity. Learn to love them. You are a part of it. And people who say you don't need to be a part of a church in order to be a believer, those are generally people who have authority problems and do not like to be held accountable. See, I said I was going to give you some stuff to hold today. The church is the bride of Christ. My husband, if you said to my husband that you liked him and you hated me, I could tell you right now he's done with you. It is not optional. It is something you have got to be a part of, the people of God. The church, we're going to talk more about this later this week. Do not let anyone tell you that the church is irrelevant, in exile, or on the fringes, or no longer the hub of life in this world, because it is the hope of the world. It is the only thing Jesus is coming back for. Everything else will burn up but the church. So if you don't like it, lean into it. If you really don't like it, maybe you should be leading it. I'm not kidding. The next thing that I think is being mismessaged to you is that sin is relative and it's really not that big of a deal. You know, a fruit of the spirit is self-control. You got to know your vices. They won't be everyone's vices. Oh, but they're yours. And all the enemy needs is his toe in the door. All he needs is for you to flirt with darkness. Just flirt with it. Because nobody goes off the rails in a moment. It's a series of slow Small steps that you don't even notice until all of a sudden you're so far from home you can't even remember how to get back. That's the way sin works. And sin is unholy. Sin is anything outside of this box. Adhering to biblical truth is not legalism. So tired of hearing that. Adhering to biblical truth is obedience. That's what it is. Adhering to biblical truth is just not spitting on the cross. That what Jesus did is worth giving our life to. It's worth giving our all to. Adhering to biblical truth inside of this, it's protective, it's instructive, it's healing, it's hopeful. Which takes me to this next lie. I think that um, 
man, this, this is deep. And this is, this is probably one of the newest, most prevalent ones in the church. It's this, that the New Testament changed the definition of holy. That because of what Jesus did, less is required of us. In fact, people would like for you to take the Bible and put it over here and tell you only then can you be like Christ. Only then can you love the way Christ loved if you will take half of what he said and disregard it. Let, let me just give you a little quiz. Let me help frame this for you. When we're talking about what's more challenging, the Old Testament law or New Testament love, which requires more of you. Let me, let me give you some examples. Um, before Jesus, the law said don't murder. After Jesus, the new command was love your enemies. Don't even think bad thoughts. Which one's harder, law or love? Right? Before Jesus, the law said no adultery. Jesus said don't even look at someone lustfully. Which one? Law or love is harder. Before Jesus, the law said an eye for an eye. Jesus said turn the other cheek. Which one requires more of you? Love. Do you, see, do you see the pattern? Before Jesus, the law said the lamb died to atone for your sins. When Jesus arrived, he chose to die for you and told us to lay down our lives. Which one requires more, the law or love? Love. Now he took all those laws, he fulfilled them, and he boiled everything down to the two. Love him, love people. But while much more simple, it's far more challenging. It's far more challenging to love people and love God in that way. The difference is now, because of Jesus, holy is actually possible. The law, it wasn't even possible. We, no way could it be done. Holy wasn't, was so far out of reach. Jesus came and brought it to us. So while it's more challenging, at least it's possible. Love actually requires more and not less. Finally, People would like for you to believe that the, the gospel is culturally driven. I might step on some toes with this. So just, if I'm not back in the morning to speak, you'll know what happened. Um, the gospel is Christ-driven. I need to warn you of something. I would just be so irresponsible and I'd be wasting your time and mine if I did not tell you these. The new church culture would like for you to shift your gaze from Christ to the latest cause. There's some really important conversations happening in the church right now. They're important conversations. So I, I'm going to say this, and please don't hear me as saying that we should disregard them or not have them. Because we, we should be having conversations about racism and diversity and poverty and equal rights. We should be having the conversation. But what has happened in Christianity is we have made those conversations the conversation. They are not the conversation. The conversation is that the gospel is Christ-driven. Jesus said to the woman, I am all you need. You guys know, 
you probably know this because you, you probably follow this as college students. So this new Trump has been elected president. You know, on college campuses, people were crying and not going to class. Are you serious? You have got to be kidding me. Like, when you read the letters in the New Testament, Paul's in prison, right? He's not sitting there bellyaching about Caesar. He's not crying and saying, you know what he's in there? He says, hey, tell the servants in Caesar's house. I say, hey. <laughs> tell them I say, what's up? That's what Paul's doing. What is wrong with us? I mean, what do you think the world thinks when they look on to believers that look like they have lost all hope? That because the election didn't go the way we wanted to or because this cause has not gone the way we wanted to or these people don't have water. And I'm not telling you, again, that these are not important conversations. What I'm telling you is that it's not the conversation. It's not the main conversation. I wish... I heard as many impassioned speeches from believers about the call to repentance and the prayer for revival as I do about racism and diversity and equal rights. Because maybe when we got serious about a Christ-centered gospel and prayed that people would fall to their knees in their faces like Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, I fall to the ground and pray that you would be filled with all the fullness and completeness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe when we fell to our knees and began to pray those prayers and cared more about the internal structures and insides of our soul and our spirit than the external things that bring us pain, maybe then we would start to see a supernatural movement of God that cannot be explained or predicted. Maybe then. See, I've been asking myself this question lately. Why do I read the things in the book of Acts that I'm not seeing anymore right now? Why is that? Maybe because when Jesus looks down from heaven, we're all whining about what's going on in the world and the devil loves it because we have lost sight of eternal things. And the church, not all the church, but many leaders in the church would love for you to buy into this. You should have more urgency in your soul about the spreading of the gospel of the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ than you should any other cause. Don't fall into the lie that we have to set aside biblical truth in order to be more like Jesus. Water is not water, is not water, is not water. Love is not love, is not love, is not love. There is an ideal. And the ideal can be real in you. It's true that the church should be a voice of justice. But when we long more for justice today than we do Jesus forever, and when we allow justice to even suggest that there is more than one way to the Father other than Jesus, we become cause-driven. 
Unconditional love is grace and truth. And your generation has got to decide to be brave enough, to be bold enough. Please be brave enough to take a stand. Be brave enough to know what the word of God says. Be brave enough. Be brave enough to say things that are countercultural. Be brave enough to say things that are counter church culture. Because it's true. Unconditional love. We want all the grace. Give me grace. Give me grace. Give me grace. Give me grace. You can't have love without truth. Do you want to be in a relationship with anyone who doesn't tell you the truth? Be in love with him. Be in love with people. Inside the protective, supernaturally healing, protective power of God. Let me pray for you tonight. You know, as you're sitting there with your heads bowed, I, I did this this morning, and I just want to ask you a couple of questions. If you would just take a minute to reflect. Can I ask you if there's a truth that you have been unwilling to hear in your life? Is there a truth you know that is real, and you just have not wanted to deal with it, but you know it's there? And you've tried to contort it and you've tried to change it even. Is there a grace you're unwilling to give? To a friend, to a parent, to a sibling, to a hurt, to a wound, a grace you're unwilling to give and you're not experiencing the fullness of God's love because of it. Is there a truth you've been unwilling to say? You see it in someone's life. There's a woman at the well. There's a person, and you can see it, and you know it's going to destroy them, but you just haven't said it. You're too scared. You don't want to infringe. You don't want to hurt them. You're, you're afraid they won't hear it, and you just haven't said it, and you need to. You need to say it. Or which one of the four are you sacrificing? Are you sacrificing God's word? Are you sacrificing God's people? Are you sacrificing taking time to hear his voice? Are you sacrificing belief in his providence and his care? Heavenly Father, it's a it's a confusing day that we live in. Where it's like we're called out onto the ice and um, told what to do when we go in because we're going to go in. Father, it's a confusing thing. Father, I pray that the men and women in this room would be brave enough to grab a hold of these truths, that they would be brave enough to understand 
that love is so big and so powerful and it is so much more than our thoughts, so much more than our ways. And it's being inside of abiding with you that grace and truth can be found. Father, I thank you for this moment and I thank you for your presence here. And it's for your glory that any of this is done anyway. For your name to be famous. We love you, Lord, and we give this to you. In your name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs>